Okay, so my sermon today is called Hope in Hard Times. Because life can get difficult. It can. Um, Jade's not here today because life is difficult for her. She twisted her ankle by stepping into a ditch, and so now she's got two sore feet. Um, so she's, she's at home with the boys, um, trying to keep off her feet. And I'm sure the boys will try and run her off her feet. Um, so life gets difficult. And naturally we want to despair, sometimes to the point of giving up altogether. It sometimes feels like you want to throw the towel in and walk away. Just no point. Whatever it was you were doing just doesn't feel worth it anymore. And if that's you here today, I want to offer you some encouragement. We have some hope for the hard times. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He wasn't just talking about the trials of life that were ordinary trials of life, although they certainly come into it, but also he was predicting the persecution that Rome would bring to the early church. And that was some severe trouble, even to the point of martyrdom. Life is often hard enough as it is, but it gets more difficult when you believe something different than the world around you. Sharing your view becomes an increasingly delicate art of not offending God's word by compromising, but also not getting yourself into trouble. So I'm going to read, preach from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans 5, from the beginning down to verse 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <coughs> That's quite an amazing amount of love. God's timing is perfect. You see, at just the right time, God showed his love for us. At the right time when we were powerless to save ourselves. This means, therefore, that we cannot take credit for our own salvation. That's what powerless means. 
Not only can we not earn it, but we never could have earned it due to that very powerlessness. And for a great description of that powerlessness, two chapters later, Paul goes on in Romans chapter 7 to describe what it's like to want to do something good but not be able to do it. For the very thing you want to do, you don't do, and the thing you don't want to do, you end up doing. Christ died for the ungodly. Everyone. Now, it was tempting in Paul's day to say that Jews were godly and Gentiles were ungodly, but Paul stresses a point that Jew and Gentile alike have all sinned. And sometimes it's tempting for us in the church to say, well, we're the godly people and they're the sinners. And, well, God, God sees it all the same. Churchy and non-churchy alike. Everyone has sinned. Christ died for everyone, inside and outside these walls. Now, sometimes a person might love a person enough to die for them. We have soldiers who go off to war and risk their life on our behalf. And sometimes a person might really be inspiring enough that you would put your life in their hands. It doesn't happen very often, but it's possible. They would have to be a good person, very honourable, righteous, inspiring, promoting a worthy cause. I think it would have to be a great person indeed that I would give up my life for their sake and put my life on the line for them. My immediate family are really the only people I can think of. If someone hurt my boys, there'd be trouble. But God's love is such that he died for us while we were still his enemies. He didn't wait for reconciliation before he put his own life on the line. Instead, he put his life on the line in the hope of reconciliation. You see, God's timing is perfect by giving his life to us for us while we were powerless to save ourselves, allowed him to reveal the extent and magnitude of his love for us. All of us. No matter our background, race, gender, income, neighbourhood, all irrelevant. What matters is that we were once enemies of God by dint of our sinful deeds. But now, because of God's grace through Jesus Christ, we are justified, and that is, made righteous. And now we are his friends. It's a profound love that sacrifices the self in order to reconcile an enemy. I know of no other who have done it. Can you imagine Anne Frank knocking on Hitler's door? Can you imagine, what's his name, the heavenly man from China talking to Mao Zedong? I don't know of anyone who would do that but Jesus, who would lay down his life in order to save an enemy. 
And he did it for me. And he did it for you. So we have something to rejoice in. Something great. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Paul has already established in the earlier chapters that all have sinned without exception. And that the law does not save from sin, but simply reveals its presence. Adam's faith, however, was counted as righteousness. It was unwavering despite the natural situation he was in, what with being practically a hundred years old and his wife long past childbearing, he still believed God's word that he would have a son. Indeed, as uncountable as the stars or the grains of sand on the beach. Because of what Christ has done, we are now at peace with God. We are his friends. Because Jesus paid the penalty of sin with his own death, taking that upon his own shoulders. His death demonstrates both the just nature of God in that the wages of sin is death and Christ takes that death upon himself because someone needs to. And it also demonstrates the love of God in that he took that punishment on himself because he wished to show grace towards us. And now he has forgiven us of our sins. Also, we rejoice in our sufferings. And this can sometimes be a bit of a stumbling block, this passage. To rejoice in our sufferings. Are we masochists that we delight in pain and torment? Surely not. Is there anything good about suffering that we could find to rejoice in it? Initially, no, but actually, if you look at it, yes. There's plenty about suffering that you can rejoice in. It begins a chain reaction. Okay? Suffering produces perseverance. By suffering, we have something to resist, some, sorry, something to resist which increases our strength. A means of practicing love through the exercise of patience and persistence. And by doing this, we produce character. A loving character which comes with godliness. A Christ-like attitude, if you will. And this godly character then produces hope. Here then we see the logical chain reaction. Like a line of dominoes, one falling over the other. Because we are justified by God's grace and made righteous through Jesus' death, we have something to rejoice about. We are no longer enemies of God, but now we are at peace with him. And even in suffering, there is joy, not out of some strange, perverse pride. Look what I can endure. Not some bizarre masochism, but because of what suffering produces. Perseverance, which leads to character, which leads to hope. And we have a sureness in our hope. It's a marvellous thing, hope. It's the promise of things yet to come. And it can keep you going when nothing else will. 
You can put up with just about anything if you have a hope to aim for. Sometimes, in this old world of ours, hope is fleeting. It disappoints. I know of many people at my work who hope to win the lottery. But not everyone can win. There are very few winners and sometimes no one wins Division 1 and it jackpots. There's a lot of losers though and their hope gets disappointed. Some people hope to elect a good government when the campaign season rolls around. And your party might get in power, your party might not. You hope your party will. But even if your hopes of getting the government that you elect into power, will they govern the way that they promised they would in their campaign? These hopes carry risk. They may come to pass, they may fail, or they may happen but in unexpected ways. And it can cause disappointment. But our hope in Christ does not disappoint. Why? Because God has poured his love into our hearts via his Holy Spirit. And this is evidence, like a deposit on a home loan, that we have a guarantee that our hopes will be realised. That we are indeed saved and it's not for all naught. We know therefore, because of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that this hope that we have in Christ is a sure thing and it will come to fruition. This pattern is also seen in the passion of Christ who suffered on the cross. He endured the pain and torment of that death. He showed the true nature of his character by sticking with it to the end for our sake and by doing so, bought hope for us all and realised his own hope of reconciliation between us and the Father. In Christ, therefore, we have hope of salvation. God's word is truth and he does not lie or deceive. Therefore, the love that the Holy Spirit has poured into our lives gives us certain hope that does not disappoint, but rather comes to fruition. Thus, we can worship and minister with confidence, knowing that what we do is based on a solid foundation. We do not need to be hesitant or hedge our bets with other religions and philosophies because God himself has made this guarantee. Nor do we have to worry about admitting that there is trouble. The idea that we shouldn't speak it out can be tossed out the window. We can be honest because God is bigger than that. And so is the hope that he gives us. This knowledge then empowers all who believe to endure adversity. Not with a painted smile that denies the nature of reality, but by seeing beyond the current situation to the eternal truth and hope that God has given to us. The knowledge that this too shall pass. That there is a day coming 
when we will walk in that garden once more and there will be a tree of life with leaves that are healing for the nations that every tear will be wiped away. That day is coming. In this world you will have trouble, says Jesus. And throughout the ages there has always been trouble of one sort or another. We have an enemy who does not want to see the church achieve the glory and destiny that God has ordained. But apart from demonic interference are the normal troubles and trials that life brings to everyone. The natural fallout of Adam and Eve's sin. Now whilst Paul's audience was facing severe persecution, even to government sanctioned martyrdom, his message applies to any difficult situation. We do not need to be miserable just because our situation may be miserable. Our salvation is secure in Christ and nothing can take that away. Not height nor depth, powers above, powers below, principalities, authorities, you name it. It comes second place to the love of God. No matter what happens either to you personally or what you see on the news, the hope God has given us in Christ is bigger. Yet let us not keep this to ourselves because the same applies to the people out there. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Abraham's faith, if you look in Genesis, was counted towards him as righteousness before he was circumcised. Think about that. You can't earn it. Rather, the circumcision was evidence of the righteousness that had already been credited to him. Rather, our status as children of God is evidence of the salvation we have already received. He died whilst we were still sinners and he died for them even though they are still sinners. But now, now there is a peace for them to come to God if only they'll swallow their pride. The enmity between God and humanity is gone, and it has been for the last 2,000 years, or thereabouts. Yet some people still think the church roof will fall on them if they come here. Nonsense. God doesn't hate them any more than he doesn't hate me. And if he can love me, he can love just about anyone, I reckon. (laughs) So let us endure the hard times and lift one another up. Let us persevere through the trials that come our way and build up our character, though it might make us sweat with the work of it. Let us express the love the Holy Spirit has put in our hearts as a sign of the hope, that rock-solid hope that he has given us. We will not be destroyed in death, but live forevermore through faith in Jesus. We will be resurrected with him on the last day. And let us rejoice in that. Take heart. He has overcome the world. Thank you.